Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. I am back today with my friend, Dr. Tina Wismer. She is the Senior Director of the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center. We talk about rising rates of marijuana toxicity. I saw one of these last week. Um, they are, uh, the numbers are up, and that's tied to legalization of marijuana and just an increased prevalence in it in uh, daily life of many uh, of many people. And, and we just want to we want to run through it and then get into the staples of therapies. Make sure you're up to date on everything you need, what to expect, what to tell people if they're calling and asking about it, and just generally what do you need to know in a short little bite-sized bundle. That's what we got. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to Welcome, Dr. Tina Wismer. Thanks for being here again. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's always my pleasure. I love to have you. You are the Senior Director of Toxicology at ASPCA Animal Poison Control, um, for those who don't know. And you are a, you've been a regular guest on Kona Shame. I think we've, this is, I think this is our fourth episode together. Uh, out of out of a hundred, uh, basically we have a hundred and a couple. So so you're four percent of the podcast history, uh, right, right, right here. Well, I I wanted to jump on and talk to you today about. Um, I was always looking at, at trends and what's what's common. What are we seeing in the exam rooms today? And and that's that's always what I like to sort of bring in and talk about on the podcast. Uh, let's talk a bit about legalization of marijuana across the country. Uh, and this has sort of been a, a sort of a weird state by state creep. But um, but I want to talk to you as it becomes sort of more normalized and, and, and legal and we got CBD dispensaries and things like that. Are we seeing fallouts of that as from a from a toxin basis from a from an emergency medicine basis? Certainly, uh, we have seen an increase in marijuana cases, um, just about every year. Um, since legalization started. And I can tell you like between 2018 and 2020, the number of cases reported to animal poison control has more than doubled. Okay. And we certainly don't get all of them that are reported. Um, I think part of it has to do with it being legal and people are more likely to admit it. Yep, my dog got into marijuana, right? There's less of a stigma. Well, let me, let's unpack that for a second. Do you think that these are new cases, meaning marijuana is more common and they're and they're more often getting it? Or do you think that they've always, we've always been seeing marijuana toxicity cases, but people just, they didn't, they didn't admit it. And so we were having these kind of veiled conversations or veterinarians were treating unknown toxins. So yeah, think, help me, help me with that a little bit. Sure. I, I think it's a little bit of that, right? I definitely think that it's more easily available. Right. So, as you said, there's, you know, dispensaries in, um, you know, I shouldn't say on every corner, but it seems like it driving down the highway with all the billboards that they're on every corner. Yeah. Um, and I think that with less stigma, right, more people are willing to, you know, have it out in the open. Mm -hmm. And also that we're dealing more with concentrated forms of THC now. Right. A lot of the edibles have very high amounts of THC. So. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. It, it makes sense, you know, um, now that there's dispensaries out in the open and they're selling a variety of products. Um, Hyper-concentrated uh, products 
are they are they common? I mean, what percentage of toxin cases uh, with marijuana do you think we're seeing that are this more processed, more potent uh, version? So. With cats, we're still seeing a lot of plant material, right? Cats get into the baggies or cats, you know, eat the joints um, and become symptomatic. Dogs, it's all about the edibles. And especially because a lot of edibles contain chocolate, um, then we have to think about treating both chocolate and THC toxicosis. So for those of us who are not in uh, marijuana legal states, uh, can you give us a quick breakdown breakdown of edibles? Kind of what they are these are these gummy products, uh, uh, chocolate products, anything that you can imagine? Are are there trends and variables? Uh, yeah, if you're just if you're someone like I said, South Carolina does not have legal marijuana. Uh, so so yeah, I, I wonder I wonder if uh, if veterinarians there would be as as uh, familiar with uh, with um, I don't know how you call it, the, the, the packaging of marijuana as in other states. Right. So you still can buy plant material, but you mentioned some of the things, right? You can get gummies, you can get brownies, you can get chocolate bars, right? You can get um, oil, which is a concentrated THC product. Um, you know, you can get uh, wax, which is a even more concentrated THC product. And it does, it looks very waxy. Um, all of these can be um, either ingested or smoked and dogs seem to love them. Well, I'm resisting the urge to drive this conversation more deeply into wax and how it's used uh, because that's not what we're here for. But it's, I'm going to have to do some Googling after we get off the podcast. Okay. Uh, and one of the issues is that when people buy a brownie, right, or a chocolate bar, it's considered to be multi-dose, right? The typical THC dose for people is 10 milligrams. But a lot of these chocolate bars have like 180 milligrams. So you're just supposed to take a bite of it. That's, that's terrible. That's, right. let's, let's let me jump in here for a second. That's awful. Like the idea that I'm going to take a bite of a chocolate bar and stop, like that's I, I does not, it's not going to happen, makers of THC products. You need to be more responsible. Right. And dogs certainly don't stop either. Yeah. Right? <laughs> me, so what me and, and Labrador retrievers have in common is we're not stopping when we get a brownie. Like we're going <laughs> to, we're eating what it, the serving size is how big the pan is. And everybody should be open about that. Hey guys, I just want to jump in real quick with some uh, housekeeping. Wanted to let you know what's going on. The big thing is uh, December 2nd through the 4th in Greenville, South Carolina, in person, the Practice Owner Summit is going on. This is Uncharted Practice Owner Summit. It is a gathering of practice owners. Uh, it is only open to practice owners. Um, that's not business owners, that's practice owners. Uh, it is going to be a summit, which means there is going to be some workshops, there are going to be some hands-on uh, working uh, groups, and it's going to be a lot of discussion. It's going to be a lot of collaborative problem solving and talking about your practice and working on your practice. So if you want to get re-energized, if you want to get re-motivated, if you want to connect with other people who are practice owners, man, talk about, uh, talk about a real benefit. You know, we talk about knowledge is power, and that's true but relationships are power as well. And uh, and the great thing about the Uncharted, especially the summits, we really re lean into the relationships. So come surround yourself with people who do what you do. Surround yourself with people who understand the struggles that you have and get re-inspired and re-motivated and reinvigorated. Get yourself a new lifeline or two or three or five or twin or 20 uh, people who are there to help you and support you. That's what we're doing. 
Uh, anyways, link in the show notes. I would love to see you there. Registration closes on November the 15th. If you have friends who are practice owners, uh, don't let them miss out. Put this on their radar. Be like, hey, you need to look at this. It is really going to be awesome. And God, it's going to feel good to get back together in person and see these smiling faces. Anyway, guys, take care. Uh, and let's get back into this episode. Our typical marijuana dog presents to you with the triad of classic signs. It is um, ataxic, it is hyperesthetic, and it's dribbling urine. Classic triad. Now, we do have other uh, dogs, about 25% become a little more agitated instead of lethargic. Okay. Um, But yeah, the classic triad. um, I guess it's sort of a, it's still a mixed bag, I'm I'm assuming, as far as what type of a report you're going to get from the pet owner. Yeah. So when marijuana is legal, I'm sure you're more likely to hear, yes, this is what happened. Are there uh, are there common cover stories for non-legal states that 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 like that, that's like code for uh, my dog ate my stash? Right. Um, typically, it's the neighbors threw it over the fence. <laughs> um, right. And you're like, really? It's one of my coworkers says, you know, junkies don't share. Um, <laughs> You know, so it's not uncommon um, that we'll get, oh, it's the neighbor's marijuana. Okay, that's fine. I, I don't really care. At this point, I jump in and help the high school kid out. I'm like, look, this happens all the time. Neighbors are yeah. always throwing marijuana into other people's yards. And always. I just, it just happens every day I see it. Yes. Now, one of the weird things that does happen, and so I have to mention it, and it is kind of gross, is that people who do edibles, the metabolites that are passed in the stool are active. So we have dogs that will go to the park or out hiking and they eat human stool and they get marijuana toxicosis. That's the case I would get. I would 100% get the hikers who come in with their dogs stumbling around like, I'm so, like, you're a hiker. I, I'm sure that your natural, nature interests extend to marijuana and they would be like, no. And, <laughs> they would out that. and I, would, I, would, I would only find out after the dog had thoroughly licked my face for like 10 <laughs> That's when I, that's when I would make the discovery. Nice. <laughs> so okay, so so clinical clinical signs presentation. Uh, what's my diagnostic workup on on this dog? So we really don't have any good diagnostic tools. The over the counter tests, the urine tests, really with dogs give false negatives because okay. dogs make different metabolites than people do. So typically we treat based on history and clinical signs. So, so are you saying those tests are without value, meaning that they all, they're almost always going to be negative? Or do you mean that, the, that when there's an error, it's negative? They're almost always negative. All right. The, the time it can be positive is when they eat human stool because that's the metabolite that they're testing for. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's a test specifically for that type of injection. Like, let's write that down. Like you don't know when you're going to need that. That's, that's a yeah. pearl that, that maybe we're going to need to break out. Definitely. So, you know, we used to always joke about treating these guys with, right, Pink Floyd and Doritos. That's how you treat them. (laughs) Forget about them in the back. Don't worry about it. But it's changed with dogs that get into edibles. Right. Because the huge amount of THC, we can now see some of these dogs becoming severely hypotensive and comatose. It it seems like now, especially with, with being out in the open, it's probably more likely that you can actually get some information about how much was consumed now in a way that you probably couldn't in the past. Is that true? And how is that useful? Yes. So, you know, they will, people will tell you, you know, oh, he ate a brownie that was four doses or they ate, you know, the chocolate bar that was, you know, 16 doses. So you can at least 
kind of get an idea of, okay, how much did they ingest? Yes, this is going to be a serious problem. Or, you know, if it's just one human dose, many times you can monitor them at home, right? If they can walk around, they respond to their name, they can eat, they can stay home. But if they can't ambulate, they need to come in and see you. Okay. All right. Uh, what kind of what kind of timeline are we talking about usually before before we're going to see significant clinical signs? Sure. So signs can start within about thirty to sixty minutes after ingestion. And one of the other differences with dogs that get into edibles is that they can actually be symptomatic for up to three days post ingestion. Okay. That so, seems that seems important for setting expectations. It does. Now you know if the dog is recovering and it's able to get up and it's still just stumbling then yeah, we can send it home. But the dogs that are comatose, we treat those with lipids. So they get the intravenous lipid infusion. Okay, talk to me more about that. I've never given a dog intravenous lipid infusion. Sure. So this is a 20% lipid solution that you can use for partial parenteral nutrition. And it's been used in toxicology for fat-soluble toxins. So THC is highly fat-soluble, highly lipid-soluble. So the thought is that the uh, lipids bind the THC so it can't get to the receptors in the CNS, and then it's metabolized and removed from the body. Dosing-wise, it's nice because with 20% solution, you can actually give it through a peripheral vein, right? You can use your cephalic vein. You don't need a central line. You give an initial bolus, one and a half mils per kilo, followed by a constant rate infusion of like 0.2. Two five mils per kilo per minute for about 30 to 60 minutes. And then you stop it. You wait for about four to six hours. If the animal is still symptomatic, you uh, draw a blood sample. If it's lipemic, you have to wait. But if the serum is clear, then you can go ahead and redose your lipids. Okay. Given that dogs can show signs for three days, is there a window in which I would give this and not give it? So saying, for example, um, I mean, we've all seen, you know, the, the the pet owner is like, hey, I work 12-hour shifts, and I'm pretty sure he ate it the moment I left the house, and now it's been 16 hours. Is there is there a window where you go, okay, this, this window has, has closed? Yeah. So the dogs that need lipids are the ones that are comatose or okay. hypotensive. If they don't hit that point within the first, you know, 12 to 18 hours, they're not going to. They're just going to be sedated and wobbly, and we can typically monitor those at home. Um, but yeah, the other ones will come to you pretty quickly. You give them lipids, and then they recover. Okay. Um, okay. And so, there's um, any are there any uh, any sort of side effects of lipid treatment that we should be aware of? Is there any you know um, is this one of those supportive measures that may have its own sort of fallouts? It does, right? As we know, nothing we do is benign. Um, with lipids, there is an increased risk of pancreatitis, and we can see some elevated liver values. The biggest risk is if you have given other medications to treat other clinical signs. If those medications are also lipid-soluble, it could take them away. So not in, this, in marijuana, toxicosis, typically we're not using any other additional medications. But let's say you had a dog that got into amphetamines, right? It ate the child's ADHD medication. Okay. It's very agitated. You give it acepromazine, right? Calms it down. Well, if we gave lipids to that animal, it would scoop up the acepromazine first 
and we would see our animal become agitated again from the amphetamines. Gotcha. Okay. Any interactions that we tend to see with, um, you know, with, with medications we'd use for supportive care of GI symptoms? So let's say that we've got, you know, our, our chocolate dogs, things like that, and we're, we're worried about having diarrhea, having vomiting. Uh, are, are there medications that I might normally reach for that I don't want to reach for if I'm doing lipid therapy? Right. So it can help, or help, I shouldn't say help, inhibit. It can inhibit things like serenia, okay. uh, things that are going to act um, within the CNS. Um, but things that you are giving orally, like um, your proton pump inhibitors or things like that, um, it has minimal effects. Is there um, benefits of uh, inducing vomiting um, or, or things like act- activated charcoal? Are, are there places for either of those? That's a great question. So marijuana is actually an anti-emetic. Okay? You think about people um, who are undergoing chemotherapy. They mm-hmm. use uh, THC to help decrease the nausea. So getting these guys to vomit um, can be difficult. If you are going to induce vomiting, we have best effects using something that acts locally like peroxide, apomorphine, and those new uh, ropinerol eye drops to induce vomiting don't seem to work. Charcoal, we rarely give it uh, with marijuana and loss it's a, you know, a huge dose um, and we're worried about something so we couldn't induce vomiting. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Are there um, are there common mistakes that you see practitioners making that you would warn against? Um, I think the thing is that with our supportive care, we need to make sure that these guys stay warm because mm. they can get quite cold. And if they're cold, we're going to see decreased metabolism. So they'll be with you longer. So keep them warm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's super helpful. Awesome. Well, uh, Tina, uh, where can people find you and learn more about ASPCA Poison Control? ASPCA.org. And we've got articles about treating many different toxins on there, including marijuana. Thanks again for being here. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. And that is our show. That's what we got for you. I hope it was useful. I hope it was helpful. Guys, it's good to get little uh, refreshers, quick to the point, super useful, you know, knowledge lumps. That, um, that that we can just we can just pop in our mouth on the way to work. It's a little knowledge lump for you. Um, if I ever have a candy, I'm going to call it a knowledge lump. And uh, how can I fail? I think that's amazing. Anyway, uh, guys, I'd love to I'd love to see you if you're a practice owner. I'd love to see you in December at our practice owner summer for Uncharted. Remember, registration closes on the 15th of November. Uh, link in the show notes. Uh, everybody else, I'd love to see you when I get to see you. Uh, I hope life's treating you well, and I hope that you uh, are. God, I hope you're not already hearing Christmas music because I am. The day after Halloween, my radio station I listen to in the morning when uh, when the alarm comes on, it switched to the Christmas station, and I just I I'm, I'm, I can't I can't handle it. I hope that you're not dealing with the stress, but uh, but if you are, let's stick together. Uh, we, we'll get through this. Ultimately, uh, one way or another, we'll we'll survive the holiday music in November trend. And so, anyway, that's enough of that. I that's a whole other podcast, guys. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you later. Bye.